Hi, everybody. I'm Jeff, and this is Story in San Francisco. Every week on this podcast, we feature physicians, business owners, photographers, bartenders, and other San Franciscans talking about living, working, and doing their thing here. It's a way to get to know your neighbors. Welcome to episode 36. This podcast was recorded at our Working with Death event in April at Cafe du Nord. It features Yeva Johnson. Here's Yeva. Our last storyteller before a brief, I think, 20-minute intermission. Uh, she's a poet, a musician, and a family physician who works with patients and their families at the end of life. Please welcome Yeva Johnson. Who knew what I was doing when I said, okay, Graham, you go first, and Mason, great, I'll be the last one, right? And I thought, let me tone it down a little bit. Um, well, I cannot see anyone. Um, I'm delighted to be here with you all this evening. Uh, the theme of this program tonight was working with death, so I'm going to try to focus a little bit on working, because that's I, I do work with death quite a bit. Um, I am a family physician. I trained on the East Coast and sort of connecting between Graham and Mason, I trained medical school in the mid 80s. Uh, I didn't have a lot of experience with death before going to medical school. Uh, the way we started the first day was with our cadavers as most people hear about or I think it's on these TV programs. That was a really challenging for me, something I was really nervous about. Uh, in my day and in my city where I trained, the medical examiner didn't have a lot of business the way Graham's did, and people were not doing autopsies so much. So each student was assigned an autopsy, but um, the day I was assigned, there weren't, there weren't any, and I never saw one. Uh, when I was a fourth year medical student, I got the opportunity to study for two months in uh, Tanzania, which was very interesting um, in 1990. Uh, I happened to be uh, present when uh, Nelson Mandela was released from prison, and Tanzania is the first country he came to because there was a lot of support for South Africa and Tanzania, so I got to see him live, it was amazing. But at the same time, there was a, the, the HIV and AIDS epidemic was massive. And in Tanzania at the time, they were calling it Slim's disease, and they thought the prevalence was about 30% of the adult population. One was not allowed to say the name or mention it, and this is, that was my first big exposure to um, HIV-positive patients. I finished up medical school and moved here to San Francisco in 1990, in the middle of the... Um, HIV epidemic, and, um, and those are the stories I'm going to talk to you about today, mostly, and a little bit about what I do right now. Um, uh, I had to just kind of cull it down. I don't have 20,000. I never counted up the deaths I've been in, involved with, but um, I thought I'd just tell you about three. So you can think about the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. I'm gonna tell you some lessons I've learned from three P's, who are three people I've known who um, were HIV positive. The first person, um, and I've changed all the names, 
to protect people's privacy, but the stories are real. Uh, one of the first people I met, and, I, and part of this has come also because I just um, had an opportunity to work with the Hormel LGBTQIA archive at the library, and I got assigned some materials. I used to, I trained and went to 5A, which was the AIDS ward at the time. So I'm bringing you back to when Mason was about two years old, um, 1990. So my first patient during training, I trained at San Francisco General Hospital, was Mr. Peterson. And at that time, um, we had limited medications available, and some patients had a lot of trouble dropping their blood pressure very low. And I was new, and um, this happened to Mr. Peterson. You give fluids, and that helps bring the pressure up. Mr. Peterson's blood pressure was very, very low. So we did one IV, 16 gauge in one arm, and we did another one in the other arm. And just I just let the fluid go wide open, but I was an intern, and on those days, I still have my pager, I guess. <laughs> still my pager, <laughs> haven't changed. Uh, I ran around, I was on call for 36 hours, and I ran off for about 16 hours, because I was really busy, and I forgot that there were two IVs and not one. So when I came back to Mr. Peterson, uh, what I thought was a, you know, enough fluid to save him was um, twice as much, and his lungs had filled up with all this fluid, and he was barely able to breathe. He's gasping, and I said, what happened? Why didn't you call the nurses? What? He said, and he said, I'm so sorry. He said, I know you're so busy. I didn't want to worry you. You know, he didn't call because he was worrying about me. Um, so that was one, that's my first P, and first lesson I learned is, um, uh, physicians take care of patients, and patients take care of physicians. Um, and also, to try to be careful not to kill the patient when you're trying to save them. This is like, this is like been a critical lesson for me. I was like, and um, wonderful patient. So, um, the second patient, I will call Paul and his partner, John. Paul is someone who was also in a 5A ward very end stage. He was in the process of dying, but not dying yet. He was suffering a lot and um, had a lot of pain. And Paul basically um, asked me for help to help him die. And this is something that um, there's no uh, classes about this in medical school. <laughs> I didn't you know, at the time, it was a very different time back then, but you're not allowed to kill people, and you weren't allowed to help them die either. Um, so, um, but what I, and, and Paul's partner, John, also asked me the same thing, because he couldn't stand to see his suffering like that. Um, what I understood was that um, we are allowed to help people with their pain and their suffering. So Paul, took it upon himself. He just asked me for a lot of pain medication. And we found out, you know, if he had pain, I'm allowed to give it to him. So um, we just gave him, whenever he complained of pain, gave him as much morphine as he, as he asked for. Um, and I was very afraid, because I had never um, been so close to somebody who was close to dying. And uh, Paul got a lot of morphine, a lot of morphine. 
and we kept giving it and giving it. And finally, um, Paul took a nap, but he woke up a few hours later. And um, I think it turned out because he had had so much pain, his body was used to morphine and it didn't matter. You could give him so much more. He was, he's not going to die from the morphine. He didn't die. I was nervous about that. But we did finally get his pain under control. So that was my second P. Paul taught me that lesson that um, uh, li life and death, these are things that are not necessarily under our control or out of our, our hands, and that we can really focus on people's suffering. Um, so I learned a lot from him. The third P is somebody I'll call Pedro, who is not a patient, but was someone I went to um, college with who moved here to San Francisco. He was a major um, ACT UP activist and um, amazing person. And uh, at the time, uh, there was a lot going on, and we're just talking about being survivors of an epidemic where people, I was only in my 20s, and people younger than me were dying, people older than me were dying, a lot of people were dying. Um, I had no idea that Pedro was HIV positive. And um, I had actually assumed that he uh, went back to New York and was still doing ACT UP stuff. I'm, I'm kind of um, 20th century, so I'm not on any social media. I don't, I'm not media savvy at all. Um, so because of this assignment with the archive at the library, um, I found out about a database at the um, LGBT Historical Society. And because of looking at all these materials from 5A and thinking about that time and seeing all these ACT UP activists, I looked up Pedro's name. And they have a database of obituaries. And I, um, he was in there. And I, didn't, I hadn't really realized that. Um, I assumed he was doing a lot of really good and interesting things. But he actually died so long ago. It was so sad. So. Um, for him, it taught me also, it's not just that P teaches me, it can be your friends, it can be at work, you can be working with death, um, and that it's really important, the life he lived, he did a lot of amazing things, even now reading his obituary, it's amazing the things he did, and um, that you can really miss someone even decades later, something I learned from this. Um, I just wanted to bring you all on a little bit of a journey of what things were like as a physician starting out in the 90s. Um, I've done a lot of different things over my life and, and worked with death in many different ways, but now I work at um, Laguna Honda Hospital. And um, at the moment, I work on a locked dementia ward. So I'm really working with most of the people are at the end of life, and I work with people who are dying, and it turns out that I really enjoy that work. When I was younger, I felt so uncomfortable and nervous and scared, but somehow I got used to um, doing this kind of work, and I, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy being with people to the end. Um, as it turns out, I didn't know. Um, I have what I describe to families and patients Sometimes, not always, but sometimes I have one of those funny sixth senses of when somebody's going to die, if I know them, when I, if I'm their physician. 
I have two feelings I tell people. One is they might die within the next month or so. It's gonna be soon. And another one is they're gonna die maybe in the next day or so. It's gonna be really soon. Those are the two feelings I get. And it's amazing how I've met so many different families and patients in, um, from different countries, different places all over the world. People are very familiar. There are a lot of people, like, this is not unusual. I never heard of this. They don't teach this in medical school either. Uh, some people say a word in Spanish, la bruja. They say, they're different words for this thing. I've heard it from so many families. But I tell people, I can tell you about this if I feel it or I cannot bother you with this. And they usually want me to do, I, I, I say I'm, I can sometimes be wrong about it and I'm happy to be wrong because that means the person's gonna live. I'm really delighted, but usually I'm not wrong. So, um, and for whatever reason, some people you don't know, but it's just a funny feeling. They could be very healthy and no reason, but I get the feeling and then something happens. So that's part of my life. This is what I do now. I wanted to connect my two stories today by sharing with you something that I've been really happy and able to bring to Laguna Honda. I, I, have, I am a poet. I've become a poet, re-become a poet in the last few years and been able to bring that to Laguna Honda, my work I do. I also am a musician. And for my patients at uh, Laguna Honda, I, when they ha we have a memorial service, I play for them. For Mr. Peterson, the first P I told you about, when I looked at the archive, when I met him, you know, he recovered. We got the fluid off his lungs. He was doing much better. But I was recently assigned to this archive, and at, on 5A, they kept a log of everyone's names in the beginning, at least, or for several years. So I, Mr. P's actual name, Mr. Peterson's actual name, was an unusual name. So I looked this name up. And uh, I didn't realize until just a couple weeks ago that he actually died about six weeks after I, um, the story I told you about his lungs filling up and I didn't know because they have us rotating around. So I thought I would ask you all um, uh, to join me. I'm going to just play for Mr. Peterson, for Paul, and for Pedro. What? the way I do for memorial services in remembrance of my patients at Laguna Honda. Now, keep in mind, I, I, I play for other reasons, too. <laughs> so unfortunately, like at Laguna Honda, people associate my flute playing with death. And I realize I have to start doing birthdays and doing other things, but <laughs> but it's hard to. I'm re it's re you're really busy when you work at Laguna Honda, so you know death is a priority. I'll do it for that for sure. But um, anyway, this is just in memory of the three P's.
Thank you very much. Music for the podcast is by Otis McDonald, a.k.a. Joe Bigale. Film photography for this episode is by Michelle Kilfeather. To keep up with Storied San Francisco, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Send your feedback to storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Check back next Tuesday to hear stories from George Downs, a.k.a. Woo Woo Monroe.